God has a great plan for humanity and for the world, and it involves covenants. Let's review the four major biblical covenants so far on The Bible Brief. Tell a friend about The Bible Brief today. Your recommendation can help your friends learn the Bible in a new way. Tap share in your podcast player and share your favorite episode. The Bible is made up of many stories. In fact, stories are perhaps the main way that the message of the Bible is presented to us in its pages. Stories like Joseph as an example of faithfulness when sonship turns to slavery in a foreign land. Stories like Samson as an example of the deceptiveness of lust and desire. Stories like Abraham helping us see what faith looks like even when the promise seems too far off. These stories all contain great moral lessons for us as we look for what God loves, what God hates, and what God wants from us. We can learn about God's character from the stories He's given to us in the Bible. And in that, we can learn to live lives that honor God for who He actually is instead of who we think He ought to be. And yet, if we merely look at these stories as a moral guide to good behavior, we can read our Bibles with a wobbly foundation. And here's the reason. Context. None of these great stories exists in a vacuum. They aren't made-up moral fables like The Boy Who Cried Wolf or Hansel and Gretel. These are historical happenings in the context of a much larger story. A story of God restoring His relationship with people who have taken His many blessings and run away from Him. We've all been given life, family, friendship, taste, fun, joy, rest, among many, many other blessings that we can't hope to count. And yet we still find ourselves, in our natural state, running away from God rather than toward Him. We're like that son who got his inheritance early and then squandered it in a foreign land, not realizing that if we were to return, we would be greeted by our father with open arms and a great homecoming party. The Bible is most of all the story of God and His great plan to save the world from its sinful state. A story with a great offer of blessing and salvation from God Himself. Eternal life is offered to any who will trust in Him for salvation. And this great story will end in an echo of the beginning. A garden city with God and man dwelling together. A new city with a new Adam on a new earth. All these little stories that we've been through in this walkthrough so far are only small parts of this whole picture. Little threads in a great tapestry single colors in the magnificent rainbow. The grand story of the Bible, however, has a structure to it. It's not just made up of these individual stories. It's also furthered and enhanced by pivotal moments in the great big story. Moments that prepare us for what's coming next. Moments that, if not in the story, would leave us wondering where this whole narrative is headed. These structural points are the great covenants of the Bible. Collections of promises confirmed by Yahweh via blood or via oath, and they give us a larger view of the story. The covenants are guideposts to point us in the right direction. Now, so far in our walkthrough, we've seen four of the five major covenants in the Bible. Those are the Noahic Covenant, the Abrahamic Covenant, the Sinai Covenant, and the Davidic Covenant. And we're going to briefly review these covenants 
before we continue in the great story of the Bible. So first, the Noahic Covenant, from Genesis chapters 8 and 9. Generations after Adam and Eve were banished from the Garden of Eden due to that first sin, the world had become corrupt and violent with its sinfulness. We read that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. And so the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Soon God commands Noah to build the ark, the large boat that would house animals of the earth and his family members. And after many years, God sends the great flood upon the earth that wipes out everyone save the eight people in Noah's family. Humanity has been decimated in its evil, and God restarts with Noah's family. Yet God doesn't restart without a great promise. After Noah honored God with a sacrifice, God promises his covenant with Noah that he will never again flood the earth in a judgment. He essentially says that this great flood was a one-time thing, and he gives the rainbow as a sign that he will never again judge the earth with a flood. This bow in the clouds becomes a memorial of God's promise. But we need to notice something important about this covenant. God promises not that he would never destroy the earth again. No, his promise is that he wouldn't do it with water. Something we should keep in mind as we move through the story. The next covenant began a few chapters later, starting in Genesis 12, gaining details all the way through chapter 22. This is the very important Abrahamic covenant, a covenant with promises that birth a nation. God calls the man Abram from Ur out of the Chaldeans in the east, and he calls him to a new land, a land that God would show him. We read this in Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. These words in Genesis 12 contain all the elements of the promises made throughout the next several years of Abraham's life. Promises summarized with three words, land, seed, and blessing. The land of Canaan, seed or offspring in abundance, and blessing to the world through a particular seed of Abraham. Land, seed, and blessing. And on top of these promises, Abraham was given a sign of this covenant as well, the sign of circumcision of male offspring on the eighth day. The three basic promises of land, seed, and blessing form the boundaries of the narrative for much of the rest of the Old Testament. Generally, rather than having a view of the whole world like Genesis chapters 1 through 11, from Genesis 12 through most of the rest of the Old Testament, the story is focused on this great nation that would come from Abraham, a nation made of Abraham's seed, who would possess the land of Canaan and wait for the blessing that would come to all nations through Abraham's single great seed. These promises in the Abrahamic covenant are critical to remember as we move through the Bible story. Over 400 years after the death of Abraham, the descendants of him have grown into a large nation called Israel, but they're stuck in Egyptian slavery. For over 400 years, they're stuck outside of the land that had been promised to their forefather Abraham. 
Yet God, through the prophet Moses and many miraculous events, brings this nation out of their slavery into freedom in the wilderness. They're no longer oppressed by Pharaoh. Now they are led by God himself, their provider and protector. It's here in the wilderness that God makes his next great covenant, what we call the Sinai Covenant. At Mount Sinai, God gives to Moses the Ten Commandments, which serve as the basis for a large body of laws given to Israel. These laws are to govern the nation when they enter the land of Canaan, and they are to set the nation apart from all the other nations of the world. Additionally, these laws given as part of the covenant are to be the channel through which God's blessing upon the nation will flow. Moses explains to the people that the law comes with blessings and curses, blessings in the land of Canaan for obedience to the law, and curses away from Canaan for rebellion against the law. The Sinai Covenant, with all its legal provisions, creates much of the basis for future narratives. We look at Moses' generation and we compare their obedience with the law's requirements. With Joshua's generation, we do the same. And with each of the generations of the judges, we continue the pattern. We look at generation after generation of Israelites and see, are they obeying God's commands and the law? Will they continue to experience blessing and life in the land of Canaan? Or will they be expelled from the land and cursed? In Moses' great final speech, he said it this way, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. It's after these many generations that we come to David, the second human king over united Israel. The nation had been fragmented and subjected to difficulty because of disobedience to God's law. And yet this man, David, a man after God's own heart, reunites the nation and captures the capital city of Jerusalem. There in Jerusalem, he seeks to honor God by building him a house, a house for the Ark of the Covenant that held the tablets of the Ten Commandments. Yet rather than allow David to build him a house, Yahweh announces his promises in the Davidic Covenant. He promises three primary things to David, summarized by three words. Dynasty, kingdom, and king. David will have a dynasty of descendants that will rule over Israel. He will have a kingdom that will be established forever over Israel. And from David's line of seed would come one ultimate seed, an everlasting king to rule over David's everlasting kingdom. The Davidic covenant further develops the Abrahamic covenant we see that Abraham's great seed who will bless all the nations is the same seed as David who will rule over Israel. These four major covenants, the Noahic, Abrahamic, Sinai, and Davidic, form the critical structural bedrock for the story of the Bible. They connect all the individual stories to create an overarching narrative with a direction to it. But they also introduce important questions into the text itself. If God won't judge the world again with a flood, then how will he do it? How will the nations come to be blessed through this seed of Abraham? If God has given the nation of Israel a law for blessing in the land, will he give all the nations a law for blessing in their own lands? How will a king from the line of David rule over Israel if Israel disobeys the law enough to be cast out of the land? These covenants all express facets of these central questions. Questions that propel us forward, wondering how it will all work out. Questions that remind us of the direction of the whole Bible story. An end with sin defeated, 
blessing regained, and God dwelling with his people as king. Most of all, perhaps, these covenants thrust us forward to something blurry in our vision. They point us to something coming, something that we can't fully grasp at this point in the narrative, but something that's becoming more and more clear. It's something involving obedience from a new heart, the rule of a truly righteous king, the defeat of evil by this descendant of David, and blessing regained, not just for Israel and Canaan, but blessing for the whole earth. The covenants are pointing to something coming, a fifth covenant, a new covenant. Join us next time as we explore another facet of David's life before we keep moving in the great narrative of the Bible. David isn't only a king, he's also a prophet. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023